The following podcast is a presentation of Project Entertainment Network. You're listening to Creeping Wave Radio, a documentation of our decidedly creepy escapades here on Mind. once the mics go off. Uh, chiefly among the things that people somehow feel entitled to know about me is how, exactly, I could allow a being as vile as old Scratch to domineer me the way that he does. Without shifting the blame off my own damn shoulders, where it rests like some corpulent yet simultaneously hebephrenic parrot, gleefully reciting my every idiotic transgression in my ear, I'd have to say that story, to my current recollection, began with Josie. Josie was a writhing mass of vehemence, puretting beneath the flesh of a woman, so handsome that in this world of ugliness, she was practically a leper. I met her at an old dive bar one night, the Kraken they called it, because it had been built from the holdout husk of a giant squid, which washed up on the shores of Encinitas one morning. The townsfolk, desperate for yet another place to intoxicate communally, thus extricating themselves from the shame of their feral, almost primordial fornications, had gutted the decaying corpse and established it as a bar within hours of its discovery. I had visited that evening, fully intending to partake in the quaint local perversions that had become custom. Finding the array of bodies and corporeal delights offered that evening to be too bourgeois for my palate, I had gone out to the patio and quietly stood, smoking a cigarette. I leaned on my elbows over the rough, wooden railings and watched as the tide ebbed and flowed around the tentacles of the creature whose corpse we were reveling in. The draw of every wave created the illusion that the monstrous kraken had experienced some form of miraculous resurrection and was ready to take its revenge on the parasites within its skin. I turned my head just long enough to see Josie approach, a sinuous shadow just visible through the haze of smoke that had accumulated in a halo around my head. Slowly, she danced into focus, her feet keeping time to the beat of bodies and orgy, percussively thrusting inside the establishment. She had just come from her job at the service station and was still wearing her attendance uniform. The thick, cloying smell of petrol had seemingly burrowed its way into her every pore, only to re-emerge in glistening jewels of sweat that strewn her skin. She announced herself as the most virulent sort of sexual cancer by the way in which she had hitched up the bottom of her shirt in a knot, revealing a pale, freckled abdomen like a mottled eggshell. The sway of her hips as she strode closer compelled those freckles to orbit, like black stars around the void that was her navel, lulling me into a cataplexy from whence I only emerged from once she grabbed my cigarette from my hand and took a drag. As if drawing me into a violent dance, she grabbed my shirt collar, 
wrenching me towards her until our lips collided in a glorious crash of spongy labrum, noses, and teeth. She exhaled an exquisite fog into my mouth, fragrant with tobacco and the dulcet residue of her own lungs. Before I could catch my breath, her teeth clamped down on my lower lip. I pulled away in surprise, but she bore down, unrelenting, driving her teeth into the tender flesh till I tasted the metallic trickle of my own blood. I stood like a dumb animal, completely beholden to her whims, while imprisoned in the pristine white trap of her jaws. She relented, more out of boredom with my refusal to struggle than mercy, and said through lips made glistening claret red by the gas she'd inflicted. Your breath smells like shit. Yeah. <laughs> I laughed, delighted by the stanic taste of my injury flooding my mouth. I eat a lot of it. Hope that's not the only thing you eat. She said through a smirk, which caused a droplet of my own blood to tremble on the bow of her lip, as if in taunting mimicry of the lunatic paroxysms in my chest. In that moment, our communication became telepathic, and I followed her, wading through the tangled briar of bodies and coitus that had grown across the floor of the bar and to the waiting beach. I followed her over sand-covered dunes, made silver in the moonlight, perhaps by merit of my inebriation or my own body's uncontrollable quivers of trepidation. The vast sea of sandy corpuscles seemed to inhale and exhale in reply to the draw of my own breath. The susurration of the waves and the throbbing of my own pulse in my ears merged together into a strange sort of syncopated bossa nova melody. I became aware of the fact that Josie could hear this music as well, as her every motion fell into time. The waves ushered forth offerings of long-abandoned refuse, glass bottles and plastic bric-a-brac worn smooth by the tumbling sea. A department store mannequin, bridled with kelp and captured fish skeletons, clattered against the pebble-strewn shore, creating a near-flawless imitation of a tinkling jazz piano. This seemingly had been the cue Josie was waiting for, and she made a great sweeping motion with her hand, revealing a patch of sand that had been swept clear of the filth and fish carcasses that ornamented the rest of the beach. There, among the glittering heaps of decay, sand crabs crawling curiously over our naked bodies, I relented to her will. One especially bold crustacean crawled up my neck and latched onto my earlobe. As I reached up to brush it away, the thing tangled itself defiantly in my hair, refusing to leave its post till it had delivered its message. She can read your thoughts, you know, the sand crab said. Enter your dreams. Cool, I said. The words came long and drawn out as if weighted by my disinterest in conversation in that moment. Do you think you're the first? 
<laughs> he laughed derisively. No, no. Not by a long shot, I'm afraid. Not even the first tonight. This is where she takes them. The poor saps like you. Takes them out here, where no one can hear your screams over the garbage rattling through the waves. I was unable to reply, as Josie had thrust her long red tongue down my throat and twined it about my vocal cords. She won't kill you, but you'll wish you were dead, boy. And once you do this, your body will hold no secrets from her. You'll be as one mind, in separate skins. What I had intended as a coup of feigned interest came out more as a gurgling sound, like rainwater glugging through an old gutter, clogged with decaying leaves and the eroding bodies of dead animals who'd become trapped within and died a long, torturous death from starvation and boredom. Instead, I nodded my head, as if to assure the crab that such a thing was entirely agreeable to me. Josie, now aware of the sand crab's intrusion, promptly drew her tongue from my esophagus, trails of golden mucus dangling from it like a delicate latticework of gelatinous vines. She sat bolt upright, her hand taking on the ferocious alacrity of a snake in strike as it reached out, plucked the sand crab from my hair, and crammed it greedily into her mouth. There was an unbearable shriek, just audible through the crunch of the crab's exoskeleton as she demolished it between her jaws. Pincers and segmented legs flailed helplessly through the gaps between her teeth. The creature's blood rushed over her lips in a deep cerulean torrent that trailed down her chin, painting thin blue ribbons down her neck and bare breasts, tying themselves into liquid knots around her erect nipples. With some effort, she swallowed the muscles of her throat waging battle against the crab even still, and looked me in the eye, matter-of-factly. I can, you know, do all the things he says, but not with you. Why? I asked dismayed. I had always harbored a certain appetite for debasement, and figured it would be mutually beneficial to us, seeing as Josie was a succubus in the most literal sense of the word. Because someone else already has. We can still mess around, can't we? I pleaded. I mean, it seems like a waste not to. Josie shrugged and relented. I would prove enough of a curiosity to her that she lingered in the periphery of my life for another decade or so. I, claiming her as my girlfriend, she never really settling on exactly what I was to her. It really wasn't till the end of our awkward relationship where... I would think to inquire as to who the entity had been she referred to that night, the one who had already taken up residence in my head.
We've been driving for hours in this old bucket heap, and my eyes are tired and beg for the smell of dreams. Not a damn thing of interest in sight. Just the red road. Hey, Avery, wake up. How much longer? What is it, Odd? How much further to the place of dead roads? Are we close? Hard to say, but we'll know when we get there. Just keep following the Red Wolf. What's that light in the distance? It looks like a circus tent. Let me pull over and we'll take a closer look. The sign above reads, Biological Show. Should we enter? Can we pay the fee? I don't have money. All I have is soul. And I'll need it to pay the toll. Let's get back on the road. The wolf won't wait. I want to see the reptilian boy. The astronaut. The crawling breasts. Look. Now the wolf has lost his patience. Now open the door and let him in. Come on in, wolf. We'll drive the rest of the way. And we won't stop again until we get to the right place. Ain't it sweet? I don't understand. What wisdom do you have for me, Red Wolf? What great secret do you have to share? The sweetness of a red summer night or the great lie of the universe? What? What did he spit in your lap? A lemon. A lemon? A lemon. No, wait! Don't go. We've got even weirder shit inside, guys. I swear! Come back! Oh, come on! Well, screw me sideways. Back to work, I guess. <laughs> Enter if you dare and witness the horrors of science fiction come to life. See what happens when man dares to play God and Lady Cecily Bumtrinket's traveling biological show. See the astronaut through the supposed miracle of science. He journeyed beyond the stars, but returned as a barely human monstrosity. See the reptilian boy. The horrific union of Eve and the serpent trapped in flesh as warning to all mankind. See the crawling breasts. Yeah, you, hey kid. Who, me? Yeah, you big palooka. Wanna see something weird? Uh, is this the part where you whip open your coat and... What the hell? No, you dipstick. Look at the sign behind me. <laughs> Lady Cecily Bumtrinket's traveling biological show? Do you want to see some crawling breasts? Um, can I take a couple home with me? Kid, once you pay the fee, I don't give a rat's ass what you do in there. How much? Shit, I don't know. How's the 50 strike you? <laughs> Pleasure doing business with you. Yeah. Ha <laughs> ha! One born every minute. Oh, I can't stand it. Oh, I'm so, 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 I'm so,
Jeez. Look at them in there. Trapped behind the glass. They seem so... sad. I wonder what they must be thinking in there. He who he saves cry desire of fear. With a bruised and trembling index finger, I wrote, Help me, on the window. Them of desire and fear hears the cry also. In my own cup. One of two fluids available. Fulfills cry desire who hears them also saves him. The other still belong to my mother, though her possession, physically and legally, of thee. He who saves and also those who desire sanguine fuel drizzled free from beyond both boundaries. Below my perch, he who saves and also those who desire the phone rang. The siren sound triggered a Pavlovian drive. The him who fear desire and fulfills saves to reach toward the cradle with. Those also saves him fear. The hand that held the sill, falling, the corner of her heavy oak table struck me. The who also and fear of desire cry, he saves them. In the eye, I hit the floor, fading to black, as her voice cracked from the machine. Who fear them, fulfills their desire, saves also. I'll be right with you. you skinflint and whatever the hell you're supposed to be pull yourselves together sammy's on his way over and i want all of you on your best behavior who's sammy kid kid you gotta get out of here like right now wait why (laughs) you shut up and don't speak unless you're spoken to capiche yeah i guess there's a back door out of this place down those stairs Behind the bar and through the kitchen. Don't touch anything. Let those spit you off on Broadway. Just keep going straight till you get back on the highway. Well, uh... Get going! Move! Slackass Sam followed his bark down Broadway, humming a tune he couldn't recall. God is now here. God is nowhere. Static splinter neon night. You only roll over a mark if you're prepared to take it all in stride. Beatings hurt most, but if you're incorrigible, you might grow to like them. Where's the ace? Slackass Sam said with a whisper of a southern draw. His mark a jaundiced old man in a trench coat spun to him as he spoke. Drool dripped off his lip and hit the ground with a wet thud. The ace is in the hole, he said. Wait, Scratch? Have you been following me this whole time? It's better you don't ask questions, ace. Ace? Okay, uh, that's new. I don't mind, I guess, but... Perhaps we'd best delay our rendezvous, Sam. Till a time when there are far fewer potential witnesses. Witnesses? Come along, Napoleon. I see it's high time you learned a thing or two about conjuring. Uh, conjuring, sir? Just keep moving forward. And don't you dare look behind you.
Napoleon laid on a couch like an old rag. His head screened, as if an invisible hand was reaching in, twisting his brain into a knot. He shifted slightly, only to find the pain radiate into every corner of his body. Too much, he thought. Conjuring is fun, but the after effects. No. Best to lie here and not move, which he happily did while his mind slowly drifted back to unconsciousness. All next on live. Now here are Regis Philbin and Kathy Lee Gifford. Napoleon! The shout startled him as he quickly glanced in the direction of the noise. Napoleon, come here! Shit. He swore to himself. Uh, yes, boss. Be right there. He swung his legs off the side of the couch, smacking the coffee table. The table gave a jump, and the clatter of a multitude of discarded bottles banging together reverberated through his head. He looked at the jumbo bottles. Conjuring sucks, he thought. Napoleon! Uh, coming! He answered. Napoleon stumbled his way towards the screaming, which happened to be his boss's study. Um, yes, boss? Get in here! Uh, the voice eased somewhat, almost to a distressed sort of plea. Napoleon walked into the study, which appeared to him as a mix of a gaudy Georgian parlor and a medical oddity museum. He glanced about. Yes, boss? His voice trailed off as he saw a figure lying on the floor next to a large ornate desk. Several bottles and beakers lay strewn next to the figure. He instantly recognized his boss, or old scratch as some call him. Boss! Napoleon shrieked as he ran to his boss's side and knelt down beside him. Napoleon frantically scanned up and down Scratch's body to determine the problem. He appeared mostly normal. Olive face with dark graying goatee and hair. Red velour smoking jacket. However, his normal goat legs and hooves were replaced with a vomit-colored gelatinous mass that bubbled and spurted rivulets of pus onto the floor. Although it pains me to no end... I am in a troubling position of needing your assistance. <laughs> Conjuring is a dirty business, and sometimes even one of my experience falls victim to its malevolence. Now listen carefully, my boy. I want you to go to Marco's and get me an elixir to fix this mess. Uh, yeah. Um, what elixir? Nothing you know of. However, Priapus will help you find the right one and resist Marco's, let's say... Persuasive charms? Mm. Rippus! At the command, sitting on one of the shelves in the back of the room, a small mechanical man with a large erection twice as long as his height sprang to life. Within two bounds, Priapus jumped from the shelf to the desk, then onto Napoleon's shoulder. Yeah. Napoleon glanced sideways. Priapus stared back, his famous accessory quite distinct. Oh, now, boy, go quickly! Priapus abruptly slapped Napoleon on the side of the head and gestured with his arm towards the door. Okay, okay. Napoleon took the cue and immediately made his way out of the study, out of the front towards Marcos, all the while a little voice in the back of his head whispering forebodingly. Marcos was a sooty aberrant in the shape of a kneeling harlequin covered in faded black and white diamonds. The head was topped with a jester's hat that rotated, and in the face mostly covered by a pair of large, excited eyes, and a gaping mouth with teeth that flashed Marcos in neon. Okay. The front door at the crook of the building's legs stared ominously toward Napoleon. He stared at the gaping hole, took a step, then hesitated. Oh. Priapus again struck him on the side of the head, 
Napoleon glanced sideways angrily to see Priapus gesturing with his arm towards the door. He acquiesced and moved forward. As he walked, he glanced side to side at the myriad of 20-year-old beer posters pasted on the inner thighs of the building, each displaying a mostly naked woman with phrases like, Place slips here, take a sip of this, or tonight I'm yours, boldly printed across the top. Moments later, he stood at the building's opening. In place of the typical glass, the door was a curtain of black fuzzy beads, like that found in an old-school opium den or a hippie shitter. Napoleon parted the beaded curtain with his hands and stepped through. The curtain emitted a rank body odor smell and was slimy to the touch. Yeah. Once through, he gingerly wiped the slime from his clothes. Once done, he looked up. The interior Marcos rivaled the gaudiness of the outside. It appeared to be a large room filled end-to-end -end with a jumble of shelves adorned with bottles of every shape and color. In the few spaces that weren't cluttered with a condom vending machine, mounted blow-up dolls, or leather paraphernalia, streaks of mauve and blue cascaded down the walls like spilled paint. A dirty lime green plush carpet covered the floor. On Napoleon's left, opposite the shelves, stood a long mahogany bar that was carved in the shape of a long undulating eel. Napoleon stepped further into the room. A slight movement to his left caught his eye. He looked over and saw a frail-looking bald man wearing a pink velvet tuxedo jacket and a multicolored bow tie staring directly at him with a pair of the blackest eyes imaginable. <sighs> Napoleon shivered slightly as he noticed that the man's complexion was whitish, almost transparent, and slightly iridescent. <sighs> Overall, Napoleon thought he looked like a jilted prom date at a monster ball. Napoleon stepped up to the man. And how can I help you? The man asked in a cool, methodical voice. Are you Marco? At your service. My boss, Old Scratch, sent me here. Ah, yes, the elixir. Mr. Scratch said you'd be coming. I would have brought it out for you, but there's a problem. A problem? Yes. Marco replied in that monotone, methodical voice. You see, the elixir is held by a third party who asks for much more payment than I can provide. Napoleon looked at him questioningly. How am I gonna pay? Mr. Scratch assured me you have the means to settle the issue. <laughs> now, Mr. Napoleon, your purchase is through the door in the back. Marco pointed towards a closed wooden door at the back corner of the building. Napoleon looked towards the door shrugged his shoulders, and made for the door. Once through, he turned the doorknob, heard the click, and slowly opened the door. He cautiously entered what seemed to be an ancient Greek temple festooned with marble columns and red drapes, like the tacky decor found in a cheap Greek restaurant. Various plants with long vines covered the columns and portions of the floor. In the middle of the room stood an exquisite statue of Aphrodite. Napoleon studied the statue, its flawless white complexion, the perfect breast, and curvaceous hips. One of her hands was outstretched and upturned, and it was a small vial. He walked closer to Aphrodite and reached out for the vial. A soft voice whispered in his head. Who is that? He asked. The whisper repeated. Napoleon grabbed the vial. And uh, about payment? Napoleon inquired. Yes, you will pay. 
The voice grew more coarse and louder. Yes, you will pay. The voice swelled to a screech. As Aphrodite screamed, the picturesque statue melted into a hideous moss-colored troll-like monster with huge bulbous breasts and a large penis that entertained two enormous testicles that hung to the ground like two medieval mason chains. Napoleon looked in horror as Aphrodite lurched towards him, snatching his outstretched wrist. Your life and soul! It repeated. Napoleon struggled to free his hand, but to no avail. Aphrodite, with its free hand, clutched one of the testicles and swung it toward Napoleon's head. It struck like a hammer, knocking him almost to blackness. He shrank to the ground while Aphrodite moved in closer. It grabbed him around the throat and started to squeeze. Absolute terror filled Napoleon as he felt his life starting to drain away. Napoleon's amaranthian reflexes took over. He unconsciously gathered the ether from the plants in the room. He vaguely saw the plants wither and die as the bluish haze of ether left them. He felt a new sense of strength as he firmly clasped Aphrodite's fingers and slowly unclenched her grip. With a final heave using both arms, he launched her back several feet. Aphrodite screamed and sprang again, hitting him like a freight train and entwining her arms around him like a vice. The ether strength wasn't enough for Napoleon to fight this attack. He continued to fight while Priapus, still on the shoulder, slapped Aphrodite, but to no avail. However, Napoleon managed to untangle one of his arms. In a last desperate act, he grabbed Priapus by the body and thrust him into Aphrodite's face. Priapus's large phallus speared Aphrodite through the eye. She shrieked in agony as she unclasped Napoleon and shrank to the ground, grasping the gaping cavity that was her eye. She kicked and convulsed vigorously, which gradually ended, while the cries dwindled to a murmur that stopped entirely. Napoleon watched her until she uttered a final gasp. Napoleon struggled to understand what had happened, but relief filled him as he realized he was safe. He looked down, amazing through the whole melee he managed to keep the vial in his hand. He moved quickly to unsheath Priapus, who had the most disapproving look from the monster's eye socket and ran out the door and out the building. Soon he stood before Scratch's study, vial in hand. Napoleon, I see you have completed your task. I hope it wasn't too difficult. Uh, no, boss. Uh, nothing out of the ordinary. Napoleon said in his usual sheepish manner, not wanting to draw undue attention. Bring it here, Scratch commanded. Napoleon approached Scratch, who, while still lying on the floor, had placed himself in a sitting position. He gave Scratch the vial. Scratch looked at it in relief. He uncorked the vial and slowly poured it over the gelatinous mass that was covering his goat legs. The mass gurgled and popped, spewing pus all over the immediate area. And to Napoleon's horror, started to coalesce into the forms of two grayish bald women clutching Scratch's legs. Once they metamorphosized completely, each figure glanced about, jumped up and ran out the study door. Napoleon was speechless as he watched them exit. He looked back at Scratch with a very perplexed expression. My boy, let this be a lesson. A want of company and conjuring should not go together. Right. Um, do you mind if I watch some TV for a bit? How do you misconstrue this? An interdimensional viewing portal capable of peering through space and time with a television set. Well, I mean, it gets Netflix, so... Yes, among other things. So, can I? Consider it my reward for your service. 
cool. <laughs> Everybody have a seat. Everybody got a seat. Your mind is in for a treat. One more moment in time that your soul is allowed to retreat. Down back alleys and spare service roads used only by the powers of darkness operating in broad daylight without fear of reprisal or redress. The way of egress has been sold, sealed, and severed, shut down and rendered moot due to inclement weather reports construed to influence more than the traffic patterns and economic tort of life savings being used to destroy instead of for the surety upon which they are being sold. <laughs> has everybody heard... Has everybody heard? Four-legged friends have usurped the bird's word. <laughs> as far as public declarations are concerned, trust less than 10% of yarns spun by charlatans with papers attesting that they are in fact learned and not spurned of our nation's costliest houses of knowledge. The common con of accredited college certifying the mental morass of those who passed through the cottage. So long as they paid their tuition, which has made it painfully clear that the education of the generations of the nation is not a charity mission. Assholes and shitbags wear colorful rags adorned with the symbols and sigils of folklore and mythos will claim to know the mind of the unknowable in such detailed discretion that your own mentality is but a sheep to be corralled by comparison. But they will spend your pious profits indulging in the very recreations they would have you flagellate yourself for even acknowledging exist on the earth. Don't let them tell you how to vote until they start to pay taxes too, or at least cover yours for a while. Is everybody mad? Is everybody angry and pissed off and sad? It's not so much fun being had. Think about that one again. An industry has been built around the pharmacological maintenance of society's psyche. Why in the hell would we trust such a valuable commodity to the same lab-coated shamans and witch doctors who can't cure the common cold? It would seem antithetical to the survival of the species to allow the unchecked ambition of the pursuit of immortality to shape our opinions of life's trivialities. Nothing is trivial on your deathbed. Nothing is more profitable than illness when healthcare is a privilege. But who was the world meant for if survival isn't an inalienable human right? Does everybody have a seat? Does everybody have a seat? Or like the rest of the world, has scarcity caused a retreat? 
Thank you so much for listening to our very special William S. Burroughs Birthday Spectacular. It featured art by Vanessa Cook Farmer of Midnight Epithelium Designs and uh, Napoleon Doom, because I do that too. But definitely check out Midnight Epithelium Designs and anybody that I mention in the comments uh, down here, you're also going to be able to check them out in the description box below. So please do check out that link because... It's uh, a collaborative effort, and we all make this possible. So, Birth of Josie, our very first story, or How I Met My Ex, was written by Napoleon Doom. Josie was voiced by Jen Blackhall, better known as Cornbreb. Check out her streams and her super cute cat, Gengar. Uh, her links will be in the description. The Sand Crab was voiced by T.C. Rollins of the Dirty Talk podcast. You can check them out wherever you get your podcasts. The Long Road Home was written by J.C. Cooksey of Horrorgasm fame. So check out her art and her writing at AfterDarkCreations.com or HorrorgasmSD.com. That story also featured Travis Rhett Wilson as Audrey. You can check him out on YouTube under his pseudonym, The Bipolar God of Science Fiction. And Avery was voiced by Anthony Silva, who you can find every week on the League of Ridiculous Conversations podcast. The Red Wolf was voiced by Travis Rivas. We had two Travises in that story, so that's exciting. Uh, he is a comic book writer and uh, a newly appointed ambassador for the Lucky Finn Project. So congratulations, Travis. Uh, then there was Screw Me Sideways, written by Napoleon Doom, which featured Shawn Michael as the carnival barker. So please do check out his photography, his artwork, and his sculpture, as well as his botanical artistry on Instagram at Tholsaboom underscore. Rebirth was written by Tone Malazzo. You can check out Tone Malazzo's work at tonemalazzo.com. He is a published writer, and I think you're going to love his stuff. Uh, that was just a sampling of what he's capable of, so definitely check it out. I very highly recommend The Faith Machine. Now, that story featured Travis Rhett Wilson as voice number one and supplemental voices. So all those voices screaming in the background, that was all him. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, he's, he's pretty talented. It also featured another talented fellow by the name of Carl Brian Farmer, but you might know him as Classic Black and Green. Now, he publishes music, he creates photography, photo edits, uh, he takes pictures at cosplay events like Comic-Con and stuff like that and edits them into works of art. It's pretty amazing, so definitely check out his stuff. Gotta Get Out of Here was written by Napoleon Doom and featured the return of Shawn Michael as the Carnival Barker. Slackass Sam was written by Dalton Dickey. You can check out his pataphysical surrealism on Deja42ArtGallery.com and you can read his books which are available on Amazon like Flesh Made World and Bastard Virtues all available on Amazon so do check that out. Follow Me was written by Napoleon Doom and featured the voice of Weirdsley as Old Scratch 
and he's also the voice of Slackass Sam and the narrator for the story of Slackass Sam. I didn't know if you noticed that, but that was him. Yes. Conjuring Sucks was written by P.M. Gower and featured A.Z. Terry as the voice of Aphrodite and the Troll. So check out her comics, her photography, and zines on azterry.com. Marco Shatter was also in that, but Marco Shatter's a jerk, so we're not going to give any links for you. Nah. Watch the Portal was written by Napoleon Doom and featured Weirdsley and me. Poetry was written by Dave the Clone Maresca and edited by the same. You can find more of Dave the Clone's work on Hollow Nine Network, and the link is going to be in the description. Uh, basically, he's got like a whole collective, just a big old hive of podcasts and audio dramas that are there for you to enjoy. So why wouldn't you? I don't know. So you can help support Creeping Wave and the U-Mind and all of our other projects by becoming a Patreon. That's patreon.com slash lucidnap. Or you can make a small one-time donation to buymeacoffee.com slash lucidnap. You can snag my art, comics, and prints at lostbreadcomic.com. And, uh, you know, the first issue of Lost Bread actually features Josie. Yes, so if you like that character, you can, you know, there's more where she came from. I, uh, I was going to do more with her, and then I just stopped doing Lost Bread and started doing Creeping Wave. So now she's coming into Creeping Wave and the U-Mine. So, yeah. So that should be interesting. <laughs> you can also support us just by following on social media um, or offering us art, stories, voices, ideas. Uh, yeah, we want you to get caught up in our nonsense, too. We want you to get carried away by the Creeping Wave. So yeah, this is a collaborative effort and we'd like to do more collaborative projects where we bring in uh, other writers, other artists, things like that, because uh, I thought this was super amazing. I had a really great time working with uh, Vanessa Cook Farmer. Uh, we were pretty much like talking back and forth every day. We have very different sleep schedules, but there is some overlap during the day. Uh, and we were just coordinating on what we we're going to be doing art-wise. And her artwork's amazing. You've got to check it out. But uh, her, her painting is only one of the things that she does. Uh, she also does jewelry, uh, which you can see pictures of that on my Instagram. And uh, probably going to insert a couple pictures of that in here as well. Um, she created jewelry specifically for uh, this, uh, basically this episode. So it was like William S. Burroughs themed jewelry. And uh, it's beautiful, it's elegant, it's amazing, and it ties into the story, which is crazy. How do you even do something like that? I, I can't do something like that. But Vanessa, yes, she can and uh, so that was amazing and thank you so much Vanessa because uh, you made this whole process a lot less terrifying I was really nervous going into this episode honestly I've been wanting to do it for a while but I was like oh my gosh it's gonna be crazy but you you made it less crazy which is nice and thank you so much to everybody who contributed stories and voices and everything else because uh, we cannot do it without you so, uh, yeah, I also want to thank our Patreons. And of course, that is The Gramerica Show, Nikki Benfield, and the lovable Neil. We could not do it without you guys. I don't know what we'd do without you. I, I shouldn't say that because then you'll, you'll want to test it. It's like a Streisand effect. But don't, don't do that. Just honestly, thank you so much for supporting us, for helping us out. 
And uh, yeah, hopefully we can keep making fun stuff and uh, keep doing exciting things with this internet thing that's going on. So, all right, guys, thank you for listening. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Creeping Wave and the You Mind are brought to you by Lucidnap Productions in cooperation with a hairy old man. I'm not that hairy. You're, you're shedding all over the place right now. Not exactly. A podcast where three horror authors discuss monsters? It must be Wondering Monster Roll Initiative! I feel like once you put the mask on it... It's, once you put the mask on it, it's a monster? Please rise for his yeah, dishonor. Nope, the, Judge of the Abyss. The fetid pig at the table of suffering. You brought... Cats Bravanov. You brought the Whomping Willow. I brought a goddamn kaiju. <laughs> we'll see you every Monday. This has been a presentation of the Project Entertainment Network.